Welcome back to Radio Physics, a collaboration with the Aspen Center for Physics, KDNK Community Radio in Carbondale, and physics students from the Rowing Fork Valley. The interns spend two weeks working at the center during the summer and get to talk one-on-one -on -one to some of the distinguished physicists who are here. I'm Emily Taylor and I'm hosting today's program, which is being recorded at the Aspen Center for Physics. Our two interns today are Andrew Tran, rising senior at Glenwood Springs High School, and Bryson Wells, rising senior at Aspen High School. They will interview Alex Lubchowska, Assistant Professor of Physics and Astronomy at Vanderbilt University. Alex is a theorist with training in high energy physics and general relativity. He is broadly interested in understanding physical phenomena that arise at the experimental frontier, especially in relativistic astrophysics and gravity. Take it away, Andrew and Bryson. Well, I want to start off by saying thank you for doing this interview. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I want to start off with um, how would you go into detail more about the work that you do? Or like from your perspective, what kind of goes into it? Okay, so in, in the past few years, I've gotten really, really interested in black hole imaging, which I would say is, is my number one area of research today. And the reason that happened is that in 2019, the Event Horizon Telescope collaboration released the very first up-close picture of a real black hole in the sky, mm -hmm. which is the black hole M87 star. It's a supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy M87, or Messier 87, which is a black hole that's 50 million light years away. So that's incredibly far, but we think it weighs about 6 billion times the mass of the sun. Wow. So actually, it's, it's Schwarzschild radius. The size of the black hole is about the size of our solar system. So if it were here, it would just encompass the entirety of the solar system. Wow. This is a massive, massive beast. And um, even though it's so far away, it's, it's the biggest black hole in our sky, along with Sagittarius A star, which is the other supermassive black hole that has now been imaged with the, the first image also released by the Event Horizon Telescope collaboration last year. And that black hole is 2,000 times smaller, but also 2,000 times closer. So it lies at the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way, or its official name is Sagittarius. And because it's the object at the center, we call it A star. And that black hole is about 4 million solar masses, and it's 26,000 light years away. So uh, the, these two black holes have roughly the same angular size in the sky, which is about comparable to the size of an orange on the surface of the moon as seen from the Earth. Hmm. So these are very, very small objects in the sky, but we live in an incredible time where we now have the technological ability to image these objects for the very first time in the history of mankind, which makes this an incredibly exciting area to work on because they're very deep questions the theoretical questions about uh, what we think we're seeing and how to interpret the data, which is what I mostly focus on. But it goes hand in hand with these incredible advances in experiment. So yeah, black hole imaging is my focus. And then I can tell you more about that if you want. But uh. So could you explain to us, please, uh, what are some of the major challenges in um, photographing a black hole? And why has it only just been achieved in the last few years. Okay, so the challenges are numerous. And I should say at the get-go, I'm a theorist. So I'm not actually one of the people that takes these pictures. Yeah. I'm not part of the Event Horizon Telescope collaboration, although I, I work with, 
with members of the collaboration and I try to interpret the data. But I can tell you a little bit about what goes into their work, which is absolutely flabbergasting. <laughs> so the phrase difficulty lies in, in the angular size of these objects, right? They're incredibly small. So can you take an up-close picture of an orange <laughs> on the surface of the moon with, yeah. you, with your iPhone or camera? You can't, right? So you need clearly you're going to need some heavy-duty machinery mm -hmm. to do that. Now, if you take a little bit of astronomy, you can learn about the resolving power of a telescope. And it's a very simple back-of-the-envelope calculation to estimate how big of a dish would you need in order to resolve such a tiny object in the sky. And if you do this back-of-the-envelope calculation, you'll find that roughly you would need a dish the size of the Earth. Oh, wow. Right? So yeah. we can't build an Earth-sized telescope, no. except we sort of can, and that's what the Event Horizon Telescope collaboration has done. They've built a virtual Earth-sized telescope. Mm. So actually, the way it works is that it's composed of an array of multiple telescopes that are scattered over the surface of the Earth. Each telescope measures locally some signal, which is not enough to resolve these sources. But together, when you combine all these telescopes into something called an interferometer, you're able to reconstruct the image as though you had an Earth-sized telescope mm -hmm. composed of all these um, individual telescopes. Okay. It's like taking a, a mirror and smashing it into shards yeah. and then uh, pointing the shards at a source, maybe if <laughs> your face, Andrew, yeah, yeah. and then each shard of the mirror would only be able to collect one aspect of your, you know, maybe one eye here, an ear there, mm -hmm. your mouth there. But then when you collect that light from every shard and you virtually bring back the shards together to reconstruct the plate, mm -hmm. you get a full image of oh. your face or of, 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 the, of the black holes. Wow. So the first image of the of the black hole was technically what hundreds thousands of images of uh, the black hole that were all pieced together. Okay, that's getting into the details. Um, I think, yeah, what I told you would lead you to to say that it's a little bit more complicated. Um, the way we see these black holes with Interfer interferometric arrays, like the Event Horizon Telescope, is different from the way that your eyes see oh. objects around you or, or the way even that your camera or iPhone takes pictures. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually directly image the source. Instead, we measure its Fourier transform. Now, the Fourier transform is something you, you learn about in college. It may not be familiar to you yet, but effectively it's a spectral decomposition of the image. So just like when you hear a song, it's built up of different notes. Oh, wow. When you have two telescopes in an array, they can only hear one frequency of the image. It's like listening to a song in which you can only hear one note. So imagine you listen to um, a Taylor Swift song, <laughs> but you can only hear, uh, you know, do min minor. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, then it's not a very interesting song. But if you have multiple pairs of telescopes scattered around the Earth, mm -hmm. each pair gives you access to a different note. And so if you have sufficiently many telescopes, you can hear enough songs, enough notes in the song to recognize what the song is. Yeah. And you can actually do this exercise with, with, with a, a, 
a, you know, a song that you like. And my colleague, Michael Johnson from the Harvard CFA has this really cool demo where he plays a very popular song. I think it's happy by Farrell. And uh, first he, pa he puts it through a filter where you only hear one note and you can't recognize it. But at some point when you have, I think five telescopes that gives you enough pairs of telescopes to hear enough notes that you can totally recognize that it's the song. It's That's completely recognizable. Really cool. awesome. Yeah. And so in the same way, the event horizon telescope has many telescopes in the array. And if there were only two, you would not be able to see the black hole, but the more telescopes you add, the more notes of the image you can hear, the more of its spectrum you can measure, and then you can reconstruct a more and more faithful image. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big questions is, what are we going to be able to see in the future as we improve the resolution? So I, I actually watched the uh, release of the first image live. It was at the National Science Foundation in DC. I had at that point been thinking as a theorist about black holes for years, but for me, they were just mathematical equations. Mm -hmm. And seeing them, you know, <laughs> brought to life in, you know, in your face, was a profound experience for me. I mean, I think it brought tears to my eyes. You know, it was like, oh, wow, they're well, real me. objects. I think it, it's a very profound shift in our understanding of black holes, and it forces you to think about them differently, to look at them differently, literally. And um, the first two questions by journalists <laughs> at the end of the announcement were basically the, <laughs> the same. And they're like, well, it's cool that you took this image, but it's kind of blurry. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember thinking that too when I first saw it. Right, everybody thinks that. So if you put it into historical context, the source M87 star, this black hole, the center of, of the galaxy M87, has actually been imaged for a century now. It emits a powerful jet of light. It's like a lightsaber that extends over many, many light years. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most dramatic signals in the sky. And I think it was actually first measured about 100 years ago. And in the intervening years, um, astronomers have built better and better telescopes, which they've pointed to the source, and they've been able to zoom in more and more and more. There's a really cool video, actually, that was made by, I think, the European Space Agency, showing you over time the observations of this part of the sky and how you can really zoom into the source until you eventually see the black hole at the center. But it's really been a long journey to get here. And so it's already... An, a tremendous technological achievement. I think yeah, to right. say yeah, otherwise would be silly, but of course it is blurry and <laughs> that is true also yeah. at the same time, but we're not gonna stop here. And the members of the Event Horizon Telescope collaboration are hard at work extending the array to add more telescopes and there's lots of plans underway and we are gonna get better and better images. I think in the next five years, we'll get, we'll start to get clearer pictures in 10 years, we might get super clear pictures, especially if we go to space, which is what I'm advocating for. And um, as a theorist, the major question that is raised by all this is, what are we gonna learn? I mean, why, why is it interesting? On the one hand, as an exploratory effort, it's clear that it, it's fascinating. You know, these are the biggest black holes in our sky. They're the ones in our backyard, so to speak. So. Of course, we're curious, we want to image them, but then there's a secondary question, which is scientifically, what, what can you really learn about that? Yes. And um, I think there are at least two interesting directions to go. 
but maybe I, I'm getting into lecturing mode. So. No, no, I, I'm actually really curious because I was about to ask a question. It's like, what can we learn from it? Uh, that was going to be my next question anyway, so go ahead. Okay, well, okay. Great. Take it away, man. So, so broadly speaking, there, there's two different kinds of things you might go after. And those are gravity mm-hmm. on the one hand and astrophysics on the other. And I don't want to make, make it sound like they're divorced from each other. They're very much interconnected, but there's a bit of a different focus and also different communities yeah. um, right. chasing after these two things. So on the astrophysics side, uh, there are many phenomena that have been investigated theoretically uh, for a very long time. We've been trying to understand, for instance, how matter is sucked into a black hole. And in physics speak, we call this an accretion flow. So matter accretes onto a black hole in a certain way and feeds its growth and powers a lot of phenomena like the jet I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. So being able to take an up-close picture of a black hole and actually seeing the accretion flow onto it, and soon with the next generation of Event Horizon Telescope, being able to make movies where you're not just seeing a static image, but you're actually filming the matter falling into the black hole, that's going to be really cool <laughs> and let us test a lot of our ideas about how these phenomena occur. So just learning about the astrophysics of the source, what are the astrophysical conditions around the black hole, we think there are magnetic fields around there, what do they do, we think there's matter flowing, how does it behave, what are the relevant equations, what are the relevant phenomena. So that's one really interesting direction. But it's also a little bit divorced from trying to understand the black hole itself because this is about seeing the astrophysics of the source of the bright emission around the black hole, which is just hot plasma. Mm-hmm. The black hole itself, we can't directly see it, right? Yeah. So then the second major direction, which is actually what I'm more of an expert on, is to try to learn something about gravity in itself. And in that regard, black holes are absolutely fascinating because they're the objects in the universe where gravity is strongest. And so if you really want to push gravity to the extreme, you want to probe strong field gravity, black holes are really the best place to look. Mm. I work on sort of two different ideas, which I think are both equally promising and in my my mind the most exciting things to do when it comes to extracting information about gravity from black hole images. And one of them is the photon ring, and the other is energy extraction. Let me give you two sentences about each, and then, yeah. you, you know, if you want to ask me more, I'm happy, happy to tell you more. One of the things that um, I think is incredibly exciting is that a black hole, and we think really only a black hole, has such a strong gravitational field that, ca- that it can deflect light so much that the light actually gets captured by the black hole and starts to go around it in circles. Mm. Now, one of the initial predictions of general relativity was that massive objects could deflect light. That was predicted by Einstein in 1915 mm-hmm. when he released his theory of general relativity, which is our best classical description of gravity to date. And very soon after, Sir Arthur Eddington, I think in 1918, led an expedition to measure this effect during a solar eclipse. And there's a photographic plate from 1918, which actually I think made the front page of the New York Times at the time, where you can see a light ray that's deflected around uh, the, the sun. By the sun, yeah. So okay. th- wow. it gets bent 
but by a minute amount on the order of yeah. you know less than a degree. And uh, so massive objects, we know we've now measured this many times. You know, massive objects can deflect light by a few degrees, and we call that weak lensing. Mm-hmm. But a black hole, and as far as we know, I think really the only object that we truly are sure exists that can do this is a black hole, can deflect light so much that it orbits around 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 the hole, mm-hmm. actually skirting the event horizon. So a black hole has an event horizon, which is a point of no return. Once yeah. you fall into the event horizon, you can never come back out. You can't even send a signal. No, no light can escape. That's sort of the defining feature of the black hole. Yeah. But outside the event horizon, there's another region which is less well-known. It's called the photon shell. And that's a region in which gravity is strong enough that light rays can be captured, and you can have these bound photon orbits where yeah. light just circumnavigates the, the black hole in principle indefinitely. But it, uh, light doesn't like to get trapped. Okay. And so if you just push a photon just a little bit one way or the other, it'll either fall into the black hole or escape to our telescopes. Mm-hmm. And we have not yet resolved the photon ring for either M87 or Sagittarius A star, the two biggest black holes in our sky. We have not done so yet because our images are too blurry. But we think that in the future, we'll be able to achieve higher resolution and we'll be able to see that embedded within those images, which today look blurry, there's actually a much narrower ring of light, which we've called the photon ring, which consists of multiple mirror images of the emission around the black hole, so the hot plasma that's shining light, but it's composed of that light that was captured by the gravity of the hole and orbited around it possibly multiple times before eventually escaping to our telescopes. So that's the photon ring phenomenon, and we see it in very precise simulations, uh, some of which are done by Charles Gammy, who's also here visiting this week uh, from UIUC. And so we're confident that it's a prediction of the theory, but we haven't observed this yet. And I think in the next few years, we will be able to capture light that orbited around a black hole 50 million years ago, which is, I think, a phenomenal prospect that I'm extremely excited about. Just testing this qualitative prediction of the theory sounds amazing. And again, it's a prediction in the strong field regime of gravity that hasn't been probed very much or very precisely yet. And more than that, there's a, quali- there's a quantitative prediction for the shape of this ring. So the idea is that this ring of light is composed of photons that orbit around the black hole that skirted the event horizon, that spent a lot of time probing its gravitational field. Mm-hmm. And when they escape, they carry away information about the space-time geometry right outside the black hole, which is encoded in the shape of the ring. So the idea is to not just capture photons that orbit around a black hole, which is already super cool, but to actually measure the shape of the ring, which is a more precise probe that I think we'll be able to achieve in the next 10 or 20 years. And measuring that precise shape will really let us probe the geometry of space-time right around the black so hole where it's incredibly be, warped. this shape, would this be a three-dimensional shape or two-dimensional or possibly four-dimensional? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. So um, the, the photon shell, which is the region of space-time in which the photons can orbit around the black hole, is a four-dimensional wow. sub-region of the space-time. Right, space-time is four-dimensional, and there's some part of it in which photons can get captured. Mm-hmm. And there's a very beautiful, rich set of equations and mathematical theory associated with that. Now, when when photons eventually escape, because these orbits are unstable, mm-hmm. light doesn't like to get trapped, 
they reach our telescopes and then they just form a ring mm-hmm. on our on our uh, photographic plate. Oh. And so what I'm talking about now is measuring the shape of this curve. So it's a very narrow ring, so you can think of it as a curve. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the shape of this curve um, is determined by and encodes detailed properties of that region of space-time, the photon shell, in which the light was trapped. And um, it's characterized by certain critical exponents, some fundamental constants of nature that have only just been derived in the past few years, and which are predicted by Einstein's theory of general relativity, if the black holes that are in the sky really follow the prediction of the theory. Hmm. So that's one of the very exciting things, is that we'll be able to sensitively test this aspect of the theory. And again, to date, I think the only experiments that have really probed gravity in the strong field regime are gravitational wave experiments with LIGO and and other telescopes, which are absolutely uh, exciting, but they probe a different complementary aspect of the theory. So I'm not saying this is better, I'm just saying this is a a different window, (laughs) literally, into gravity, and it's a very exciting one, and I think we should do everything. Certainly, you know, Mm. both push gravitational wave science and also image black holes. Those are two great things to do. What like, so you said earlier you were theoretical, and so not you're not more into the like actual hands-on with it. So you help out like interpreting data, things like that. What is your hope of what you can contribute into this field? Like, what what do you want to be able to do? Yeah. So one of my contributions, along with with collaborators, was to understand the structure of this photon ring. That there is a ring of light that is embedded in black hole images. That it has a certain structure. Yeah. Yeah and also pointing the way to how you would be able to measure it, Mm. which is not so obvious. Um, And the key idea is that the effective resolution that your interferometer has, how finely can it resolve the source, is actually set by the the distance between the telescopes. So if you want to achieve higher resolution, one of the ways you can do it is just by having your telescopes be more separated from each other. Now, it turns out that the EHT already has telescopes that span the surface of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And they're just... And the EHT is the Event Horizon Telescope. Yes, thank you for, for clarifying. So the, event, the, the current telescope that's looking at black holes is already doing pretty much as well as you can do... On Earth. On Earth, because you're limited by the size of the Earth. Yeah. And so one of the things that, together with my colleague Michael Johnson and Andy Strominger and a bunch of other... Space. People, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, we understood that uh, by sending a telescope into space, now you, you would have an extra connection from all the telescopes on Earth to now this more distant telescope in space. Mm-hmm. And that extra separation would let you hear higher notes, yeah. would get, let you access higher frequencies, and high frequencies correspond to small features in the image, including this very narrow photon ring. And um, so that was... A theoretical point, but now I'm actively involved with a number of other physicists and astronomers in proposing and developing uh, a space mission. So it's a very active, ongoing effort to uh, plan for a space mission that will actually do this, which I think is hugely exciting, and I, I'm very hopeful that we're going to be able to launch such a mission in the not-too-distant future, maybe in the next 10 years. And so what's cool about this is that the current images that we've seen so far, they show us the plasma, the hot 
radiation-emitting plasma around the black hole. But the, we're not seeing the black hole in itself. It's just the, the missing dark patch in the middle where you don't see any emission. Mm -hmm. However, if we were to see the photon ring, which consists of mirror images of that stuff, but arising from photons that were lensed by the black hole's gravity, we'd actually be seeing the part of the image that belongs to the black hole itself. Mm. Because if the black hole weren't there, there wouldn't be a photon ring. And conversely, when there is a black hole and you get this photon ring, its features and its structure are governed by the geometry of the black hole. So it's the part of the black hole, of the black hole image that belongs to the black hole itself. And that's why it's a direct connection to, to gravity. So would the photon ring essentially um, outline the black hole? Yeah. Because it would be as close as you can get to the black hole without passing over the event horizon. So okay, you ask very detailed questions, which is great. Um, it's, it's more subtle. We think that there is emission from within the photon ring, but that light cannot have orbited around the black hole. Okay. So it's, it's as close as you can get while still orbiting. There is some matter, some emission that is probably emitted from matter that's even a little bit closer, but, but that light has to come directly at you if it, it is to escape. Okay, so uh, the other thing... <laughs> yeah, last, last question. Last yeah, we got one more question. Well, let, let me tell you the, the other thing which I think is really exciting about probing gravity with black hole images, Yeah, which has to do with energy extraction. So uh, it's a dramatic prediction of gravity and electromagnetism when you, when you bring them together, which was pointed out by Roger Blanford and Roman Znaik in 1977, I think. It's called the Blanford-Znaik mechanism. And they pointed out that when you have magnetic fields around a black hole, which we think is generically the case, certainly for the astrophysical black holes that we're looking at, that these magnetic fields, they can sort of uh, get sucked into the black hole also. And then you have magnetic field lines that thread the horizon. And these black holes in the sky, they're rotating. That's a key important fact. And because they're rotating, when magnetic field lines get dragged into the, the event horizon, they're actually dragged around by the black hole's rotation. There's a frame dragging effect. And in effect, the horizon pulls the magnetic field lines around with, with it. And so these magnetic field lines that thread the horizon, they get spun up and there's torque applied on them. They're being dragged around. So that's an energy transfer. And it's a prediction of the theory that these magnetic field lines that thread the horizon, they actually suck energy out of the black hole. Now, I told you that a black hole absorbs light, it absorbs everything, yeah. but it's possible for energy to escape even though all the matter is falling in. It's a subtle effect. And uh, it sounds like sci-fi, but it's our best theory to explain quasars, which are these powerful light signals in the sky, like the one we saw from M87 100 years ago. There are these powerful jets that come out of the centers of galaxies, and it's a very tough question to understand what can possibly power these incredibly energetic phenomena. And our best answer is that they're actually powered by the black hole, the supermassive black hole at the center of a galaxy via, we think, this blanford Nyack mechanism. And one of the things that I've been working on, there's a paper that just came out last week yeah. uh, with Elliot Quaturt, Andrew Shale, and George Wong at Princeton, is that we think that by looking at the light that is emitted from right near the black hole, as close as you can look, that light has polarization. So just like your eyes can't directly see polarization, but it's a feature of light. And when you wear sunglasses, 
polarized sunglasses, you can notice that if you turn your head sideways, you can, you can see more or less shine coming off of bright surfaces. And that's because light is polarized. And so the light that we get from the vicinity of black holes also carries polarization. And um, our interferometric arrays can measure that. And what we showed is that there's an aspect of this polarization, that is to say it's helicity. How much does it whirl around image? which can tell you if energy is being extracted from the black hole or not. And so I think that's another, you know, completely different direction of research, but I, I think at least as interesting to me, where it's quite likely that in the next 10 years, with better, uh, a better uh, array of telescopes, we'll be able to take higher precision images of, of black holes and through polarization be able to tell what the magnetic field lines are doing, because it's the magnetic field that sets the polarization of light, and infer if the magnetic field is extracting energy from the black hole or not, which would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Thank you so much, Alex. Um, this has been Alex Lubchowska, an associate professor of physics and astronomy at Vanderbilt University. And thank you so much to our high school interns, Andrew Tran and Bryson Wells. We hope you enjoyed this radio physics. For more information about our internship program and events at Aspen Center for Physics, please visit our website at aspenphys.org, that's aspenphys.org, or follow us on social at, at aspenphysics. 